0: G'day everyone. Well, I was going to say it's good to see you. It's good to see the five or six people who are here helping run the live stream, but I look forward to seeing everyone else. Uh, Hopefully next week, or if not the week after, let's pray that it uh, happens quickly and we're out of this lockdown. Uh, As Troy said before, this is our final week for a while in Matthew's Gospel. If you want to read ahead, we're going to be looking at the book of One Kings in a few weeks. In a couple of weeks' time, uh, that's the book of the Bible where you hear about Solomon and uh, the prophet Elijah and all those sort of great uh, moments in the Bible. So, be reading ahead. Read the book of One Kings. Uh, it's a great story, even before we look at it. Uh, also, uh, today we're having a question time. So, I think the way you can ask questions either on tonight's passage, or on things raised by tonight's passage, or on anything we've been looking at. In Matthew's Gospel. You can do that through the chat on the Zoom, I think is the best way to send in questions but that'll be happening later in our time. But now I'm going to pray and we'll look at this wonderful parable together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great joy it's been to study Matthew's Gospel together over these last few months. In particular, we thank you for the way It has shown us or reminded us of who Jesus is, that He is your Son, the Messiah, sent to be our Saviour and our King. But Father, we also thank You for what it's taught us about what it means to follow Jesus, to take up our cross and live each day for Him. And so we pray that tonight uh, might teach us again what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At the beginning of last year, you might remember one of the most horrible things happened in Sydney. In fact, I think it's uh, uh, around the one-year anniversary of it happening, and it was that horrible incident at Oatlands where a drunk driver uh, went off the road into a group of children who were walking to get an ice cream, and three children from one family were killed, uh, and one of their cousins also died. I'm sure you remember it. You also might remember what the mother said when the children, when she was interviewed, and amazingly, as people asked her about her attitude to the driver, she said that she forgave him. Now, this is what she said, she said, right now, I can't hate him. I don't want to see him, but I don't hate him. And that really shocked people, people were struck by it, but then she went on to say that in her heart, she needed to forgive him. And then it was very clear that her response was expressly tied to her Christian faith. The thing was, her response then became the front page news for the next few days. People were asking, how is that possible? How could you forgive this guy who did this to your family? And even if many people didn't understand it, and even if a lot of people were saying, I could never do that, and even some people were saying, it's not right to do that, even so, even the most cynical people knew there was something noble about this. There was something wonderful about it, because people know that forgiveness like that is amazing. Even if most people can't understand how anyone could do it, they know that it is somehow wonderful. And the truth is, even as Christians, we sort of have the same response, I think. We hope we would do the same, we know we should do the same, but we wonder if we were in that situation if we really could. Because all too often we know that the reality is that we are slow to forgive much, much, much smaller things than that. All too often, rather than forgive, we hold grudges. And all too often, we allow the hurt to fester inside us. And even if we don't take revenge, even if we don't go that far, we hold on to the grudge. So, just think now, is there someone you avoid because of something they said to you or about you or something they did to you at some point? Is there someone you grumble about? Even if you don't do it to other people, is there someone you grumble about in your mind or in your heart? And that's even more the case when someone keeps sinning against us. We might forgive them once But what about when they keep doing it again and again and again? Well, that is the issue that Peter brought to Jesus in our passage today. Peter comes and says, I know I'm meant to forgive, I've got that part, but how many times do I have to forgive someone? Now, before we come to Peter's question, remember the last two weeks, what's just happened. So, flick back through chapter 18 of Matthew's Gospel to remind yourself, Jesus has been talking to the disciples, amongst other things, about the seriousness of unrepentant sin that is, allowing sin to go on in our life and not deal with it. And he's been talking about sin in our own life, so you remember that incredible passage a couple of weeks ago where he says, it's better to gouge out your eye or cut off your hand than, than to continue to sin or allow yourself to sin and so face God's wrath. But he's also pointed out the seriousness of sin in our brothers' and sisters' lives, in other Christians' lives. And so last week, we had that uncomfortable passage where Jesus told us it's our duty to warn our brothers and sisters if they are continuing in sin. We always do it with grace, always with love, always with gentleness but if we love one another, we will be willing to say the hard word to one another. So that's what Jesus has been talking about with his disciples as we come to this point point. and as we heard it, we tend to focus on how hard that is, how hard it is to say a hard word to someone, how hard it is to challenge someone, that's the part we struggle with. So last week's passage was the one we really struggle with but Peter was struggling with something else. Peter saw that the really hard thing is not rebuking someone, the really hard thing is not challenging someone, much harder than that is what we do when they repent because he could see that then you have to forgive them, And that's where Peter saw the problem. So come with me to verse 21. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? It's a great question, I think. And if we're honest, it is a real question for every one of us. Okay, I've got to forgive, but what about when they do it again? And again? And again? When is enough enough? When can I stop forgiving them and write them off, if you like. And so Peter thinks he's being incredibly gracious here, you can see it in the way he says it, as many as seven times, Jesus, that's outlandish. In Jewish teaching, some rabbis said, three times you forgive, but on the fourth, well that's enough chances for anyone. I think most Australians are even less forgiving than that. Just look at the way we treat each other on the roads, I think we tend to have a one strike and you're out policy. So what does Jesus say? Look at verse 22. He says, I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus said to him, but 70 times seven. The original manuscripts are unclear here. It could be 70 plus seven, so 77 times, or it could be 70 times seven, so 490 times. But I don't think it matters, because Jesus isn't saying that if you get to 78 or to 491, then you can stop forgiving. See, we're so tempted to be Pharisees, aren't we? we just want to raise the number, we just want to know how many times we're so tempted to keep counting. But no, Jesus is saying something totally outlandish here. Jesus is saying, stop counting. He's saying, our forgiveness must be unlimited. This really is the most radical, ethical teaching ever given. I always find it amazing when when you read people and they say, oh, uh, Jesus is just saying the same things as other great teachers from history, whoever it is they name, from other religions and so forth. And they say, they all teach the same thing. No, they don't. No one else says this. Unlimited forgiveness. And how is that possible? Well, to answer that, Jesus gives us this wonderful parable. So, let's look at it together. Verse 23, for this reason, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he had no way to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. Now the size of this debt, 10,000 talents, that doesn't mean a lot to us We we sort of hear that and we don't really grasp what he's saying. But just to give you an idea, back in the Old Testament, King David, when he was giving money or gold to build the temple, he gave 3,000 talents of gold. And that was seen as as an inordinate amount. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that the total amount of tax collected in all of Judea in any one year was 600 talents. So, 10,000 talents... In in the movies, we would say billions of dollars to make the point. And and so the point Jesus is making is this amount would be impossible for any slave to repay. And so the slave begs for mercy. Look at verse 26. At this, the slave fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I'll pay you everything. But of course, he never could. You, You can't pay back this amount of money. It wouldn't matter how long you gave him. So then the king does something incredible, verse 27, then the master of that slave had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. So matter of fact, I hope you see how massive this is, the king doesn't just give him an extension like he asked for, the king doesn't just give him a discount, he totally forgives this unrepayable debt and I don't think you need to be a Bible scholar to see what Jesus is saying. He is saying, you are this slave, you and I and God is this master and God has forgiven you and I the impossible, unrepayable debt of our sin, a debt we could never repay. Instead of giving us what we deserve, His righteous wrath and judgment for all of eternity, what the Bible calls hell, instead of that, God forgives us totally if we trust in Jesus. And so, if the parable ended there, this would be a wonderful parable just on its own, wouldn't it? Because it would just be saying, understand how wonderful God's forgiveness really is. Praise God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is the gospel we believe. This is the wonder of God's forgiveness. But of course the story doesn't end there and this is the part that really brings the challenge home to us. Because the slave who has been forgiven 10,000 talents, well one of his fellow slaves owes him 100 denarii and he wants it back. Now understand, 100 denarii wasn't a small amount, we're not talking five dollars here, it was a, a couple of months wages for a labourer. But compared to what he'd been forgiven... It was a minuscule amount, $5,000, say, compared to to a billion dollars. And even though his fellow slave pleads with him for mercy, and do you notice how the words are almost exactly the same as what he used when he was pleading, but there's no mercy here. He demands all his legal rights and he has him thrown into prison. And so, of course, at this point, Jesus wants us, every one of us, to ask ourselves, how do you feel about this bloke? See, that's the thing with parables. They they stir up your emotions as well as your mind. How do you feel about this bloke? And you think he's a rotter. That's what you think. If this was a pantomime, we'd be booing him, we'd be hissing him, and that's certainly how his fellow slaves feel, because they go and tell the master what's been happening. And the master's not very impressed. Look from verse 32. It says, Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And his master got angry and handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. The master says, how you treat him is how I'll treat you. He's simply doing to him what he did to the other slave. And again, you can't help but cheer at the end and say, amen, we all believe in justice, at least for other people, for ourselves, not so much. But you see, as we read this, we say, this is fair. If he wants to hold others to what they owe, then he should be held to what he owes. We think, well done to the king. But then, and again, this is the power of parables, then we think about it again because we know that Jesus is asking us, are you that unforgiving slave? Are you the one who has been forgiven so much by God, but is then unwilling to forgive others? And just in case we haven't got his point, Jesus turns the knife in our ribs at verse 35, he says, so my heavenly Father will also do to you, that is, hand you over to face the punishment that you deserve so my Heavenly Father will also do to you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. I have to ask, is there any more challenging parable in all of Scripture than this one? This parable makes me fearful and I want to say, if it doesn't make you sweat, then I don't think you've been listening or you have a hard heart. Do you feel its power? Now, now please understand what this is not saying. It's not saying you earn your forgiveness by how much you forgive other people. Remember, the master forgives the slave right up front. As soon as he asks, the master forgives. The slave does nothing to deserve it. In the same way, we are forgiven by God as we come to Him and trust in Jesus, as we repent of our sin and trust in Christ. It is by faith in Christ alone by faith in His death and resurrection, by grace we are saved, a free gift of God. But what Jesus is saying is, if you say that you follow Jesus, if you say that you do trust in Him for your forgiveness, but you are not then willing to forgive other people, then do you really know Jesus at all? And do you truly know the forgiveness of God? As Christians, we have been forgiven immeasurably. Jesus tells us that we deserve eternal condemnation for rejecting God and failing to love him as we should. Yet despite that, God forgives us totally. At great cost to himself, Jesus suffered hell on our behalf so that we might be forgiven. And so yes, sometimes people will sin against us, And often they are not insignificant sins. Sometimes people sin against us horribly. But Jesus says, who are we not to forgive compared to what God has forgiven us? And if we don't get that, then the problem is that perhaps we don't truly know and understand the extent of God's forgiveness of us. Now, whenever we read Passages like this one, I can tell you what is happening in some of our minds. I can see right into your lounge rooms. A sentence starts to form and it starts with these words Yes, but. Yes, I know I should forgive, but you don't know my situation. Yes, I know I should forgive, but you don't know. But what about? Well, before I go on, back at the big day out in 2018, I did a much more full treatment of the topic of forgiveness two much more in-depth talks. The first talk was basically an extended version of this talk, because I even used this parable as my starting point. But in the second talk, I dealt with lots of the but whatabouts, lots of the practicalities, lots of the tough questions on this issue. And so I really want to encourage you, go and listen again to those talks, especially that second talk, uh, if you have questions or you're struggling with some of those issues on this. Uh, The link is on the outline, I think it's on the screen now as well. But having said that, come back to the parable. Do you notice here that in this moment, Jesus does not offer any exceptions. Jesus does not go into all the but what ifs. Jesus just says, if you have been forgiven by God, then how could you not forgive? Simple as that. And so we must let Jesus' parable have that powerful application to us. We mustn't dilute it. And that's because even if there might be some extreme situations where we need more help than that, and if that's you, go listen to that second talk from the big day out. But even if there might be those extreme situations, even so for 99% of us, 99% of the time, this is all we need forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. See, don't jump to the but whatabouts, instead hear the challenge of Jesus' words. But as we close, I want to deal with what I think are the three main reasons we struggle so much with this, the three main reasons why we balk at what Jesus is calling on us to do here. The first one is because in many situations, the other person is not repentant. See, sometimes the person who wronged us doesn't even think they've done anything wrong or sometimes they just don't want our forgiveness, sometimes they don't even care and that's hard because true forgiveness, at least forgiveness that leads to reconciliation, needs two people. If someone refuses to repent, then true forgiveness and reconciliation is not possible. But I want to say, even so, Jesus is calling on us to have what I would call an attitude of forgiveness rather than vengeance and rather than judgment. He's calling on us to stand ready to forgive, offering forgiveness, doing everything we can from our side rather than standing in judgment on people, rather than writing people off. We need to work on that attitude of forgiveness, even if complete forgiveness and reconciliation is not possible. Second thing, Second objection, if you like, is what if the sin and the hurt is just too massive? And this is a common objection, isn't it? You don't understand, the thing I I can't forgive is not trivial. If you just knew how much I was hurt, then, then you'd agree. But again, I say, Jesus doesn't give us an exception for the size of the sin here and He's clearly not talking about trivial things in this parable. And that's, of course, what makes that forgiveness of that family that I started the sermon talking about so powerful, doesn't it? Because it's not a trivial thing at all. But I do want to say, this is not saying that we will all be able to forgive immediately and totally with ease. Sometimes there are horrible things that have happened to people and it might take years of working through it to even get to the point of having an attitude of forgiveness. But the point is, Jesus' call to forgiveness still stands, even if that person struggles to ultimately get there. And again, I want to point you to that second talk from The Big Day Out, if you need to think that through some more. But the bigger point here is, that is not most of the situations we struggle to forgive. When we're honest, we struggle to forgive at a, at a much earlier point, than where we've been grievously sinned against. Most of us, it's much smaller things, isn't that true? Which leads to my third and final point. The biggest issue for most of us is that we underestimate the depths of our own sin. See, generally our problem is not so much overestimating the extent to which we are sinned against, Most of us are very good at at estimating the extent to which we're sinned against, we don't struggle with that, we have a keen sense of justice for ourselves. Our problem is underestimating the extent that we have sinned against other people and especially underestimating the extent that we have sinned against God. See the reason we struggle with this is we don't actually think that our debt to God was that big. Yes, I needed Jesus to die for me but my sin was not that black. Yes, I deserve God's judgment but not eternal condemnation in hell. And this is especially the case when we've been converted from quite respectable lives. Our problem often is that we don't fully grasp just how evil our rejection of God actually is. We don't fully grasp just how evil our rebellion against God actually is. So we don't think we've been, given a, been forgiven a 10,000 talent debt, we think maybe 20 talents, still a big debt but not unrepayable. The Bible tells us all have sinned and deserve the judgment of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. The Bible says even our best deeds are filthy rags and until we genuinely believe that, we will never truly grasp how wonderful God's forgiveness of us really is and so then we'll never truly grasp just why any other person's sin is forgivable in comparison to what God has forgiven us. I think a really helpful test of this is how you feel when you sing Amazing Grace. You know the line in Amazing Grace, I think it'll come on the screen, where it says, Amazing Grace How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Do you sing that line and mean it? Do I really believe that I am a wretch who's been forgiven a debt so large that no one could ever repay it? Or do I think that's poetical exaggeration? Or maybe it's true for the guy that wrote the hymn because he was a slave trader who'd repented but not for me. See, this is the thing, until we grasp the depths of our own sin, we will never grasp the wonder of God's forgiveness. And until we grasp that, we won't be willing to forgive others. But when we grasp the wonder of God's forgiveness, then we will say, who am I not to forgive? And so, as I close, the application here is so simple, isn't it? If there is someone you need to forgive deal with it in your heart tonight. If there is a relationship you need to restore, go and seek them out tonight. You might have to do it over the phone. And if you truly feel that you cannot forgive, if the way you have been wronged is so large and so awful, do not leave it unresolved. Arrange to speak to me about it, if you like. Speak to, seek godly Christian counsel for a mature Christian you know and trust. Yes, you may not be at the point of being able to forgive, but do not leave it undealt with. Remember Jesus' words, so my Heavenly Father will also do to you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible, immeasurable forgiveness we have in Christ. We thank you that you do not give us what we deserve but instead sent your son into the world to pay the price for our sin. And so Father we pray that because we know that wonderful truth you will help us to be people who are quick to forgive others. Give us a spirit of forgiveness and if there are people listening tonight who are struggling to forgive we pray that you'll help them to continue to work at that, to talk to others about it, to bring it before you in prayer because we know that we must forgive others if you have forgiven us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.